Pastor Xavier Reese and the danger in disobedience. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Galatians 6, 7-8. You make a compromise with your flesh, ladies and gentlemen, and it will take your head off. Sooner or later it will get to you. The sorrow of the world produces death. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. The simple truth of Hosea 8-7 reminds us that no good can ever come out of disobedience. In fact, you often get in return much more than you bargain for, as King Saul quickly came to realize with God's disappointment in his disobedience. Today we're going to continue our Simple Truth study of 1 Samuel chapter 15 as Pastor Xavier begins by setting the scene for today's important message on obedience to a sovereign God. Saul was always the people's king, not God's. The people wanted a king like all the other nations. They were taken in by this man despite all the warnings that God had given to them. And it didn't take very long before the pride and arrogance of Saul began to manifest itself. And so we come now to the record in the book of Samuel when Saul the king is rejected by God for disobeying the command of God to utterly destroy the Amalekites. And it's revealed for us in three movements. First, the sending out of Saul by God in verse 1 through 9. Secondly, we have the removing of Saul by God in verse 10 through 23. And then thirdly, the remorse of Saul towards God in verse 24 through 35. Notice in the first three verses, the prophet Samuel communicates the divine mission to Saul. Look at verse 2. The mission was based on treacherous history in the past. I will punish Amalek for what they did to Israel. This looks back to their history. They had attacked Israel as they came out of Egypt. They were treacherous towards Israel. God never forgot that. He had called them to execute now justice that's the present, but when he called it, it was looking towards the future. So you have the present, the past, and the future all involved. Do you understand? Past, present, and future. God sees it all at one time. Now, the command for the destruction was understood. Listen, now go and attack Amalek, utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them. But kill both man, woman, infant, nursing, child, og, sheep, camel, and donkey. Our Mamby Pamby society today says, how horrible. People say, how can you read the Bible? Look at God kills children and everything else. Listen to me. They were so vile, so corrupted, that if they're left alive, they would contaminate and corrupt the next generation. You understand? God understands the corruptness, the vileness of man. When God brings justice and executes justice, it is absolutely righteous. The arrival of Saul and his army is in five. He came to the city of Amalek and he laid wait in the valley. And the mercy of Saul over the Kenites is given to us in verse 6. Saul commanded the Kenites to depart from 
the Amalekites, lest he would destroy them. In verse 6, the Canaanites were people of, uh, of, of the father-in-law of Moses. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. And so the Canaanites departed from among the Amalekites here. They knew the history of Amalek. Treachery. They knew the history of God's judgment. Perfect. They knew the evil of Amalek. And they knew the righteousness of God. You understand? Now, the compromise of Saul regarding the mission is stated. Look at 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag, the best of the sheep, the oxen, the family, and the lamb, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. The partial obedience is stated, but everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. Listen to me. When God calls you to obey, you can't be selective. When God tells you to obey, he tells me to obey. He means everything. Notice, secondly, here you have the removing of Saul by God, 10 through 23. 10 and 12, the grievous journey of Samuel to Gilgal is given to us. In 10 and 11, God gave Samuel a word of knowledge about Saul's disobedience. The divine revelation was clear. Notice, the grief of God is given. I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. Now, the phrase greatly regret means to sigh, to be pained or grieved, describing the emotions of God, not that God was repentant like a man. Whenever we use human terms to describe God's actions, we cannot have them equal to a man. You and I repent a change of mind. When God relents or repents, it sighs, it grieves him. He knows the end from the beginning. He is not caught unawares, you understand? He, we have the record that he warned them what type of king is going to be. So when we're saying relent and we're using this word, it can't be the same as you and I repenting, you understand? It means it brought grief to him. He sighed. Not that he doesn't know. Notice the reason, for he has turned back from following me. And has not performed my commandment. Those who say Saul never knew God are absolutely wrong. God says he turned back from following God. We've already seen that God gave him a new heart, turned him into another man. Notice the human affirmation of grief. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord Yahweh all night. The word grief means to anger, to be angered here. Or made him furious. The reason being is that God had equipped Saul. Samuel's thinking of this. The Spirit of God had come upon him. He gave him a new heart. He had turned him into another man in 1 Samuel 10, 6, and 9. There was no excuse. Samuel remembered when God told him about Eli's judgment. Here it is again. Look at 12. Samuel went to Saul without doubt by the instruction of God. And Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul without doubt brokenhearted, crying to the Lord. And Samuel was told Saul had gone to Carmel, going north, to set up a monument for himself. How interesting. Saul was so caught up in his own greatness and honor he was totally blind to his relationship to God. The word of Saul reveals no conviction over his disobedience. Mark it well in verse 13 through 15. 
The words were a lie. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord Yahweh. I have performed the commandments of the Lord Yahweh. God has just told Samuel. Samuel was ignorant of what happened. He gave him a word of knowledge. He's bummed out. He's cried out to God all night. He's made a trip down. He's bummed. He's grieved. And the first thing he sees from Saul is Saul says, Hey, blessed are the Lord. God bless you. Maranatha. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Really? What's wrong with this picture? The evidence Samuel pointed to revealed his guilt in 14. But Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ear and the lowing of the ox that I hear? The clear evidence is unquestionable, but it does not compute in the mind of Saul. Saul blamed the people. And Saul said, They, notice the pronouns, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord Yahweh your God. Saul does not see this as blaming the people as much as giving an adequate explanation for the actions. Hmm. It all points to his spiritual condition. It's not good. Saul then compliments himself. And the rest, we have utterly destroyed. They, we, he includes himself in the good. He excludes himself away from the disobedience. But listen, he is the leader. He's the one in authority. Saul at this point has the sense that he has done nothing wrong. That's scary. The words of Samuel rebuke Saul. The command, then Samuel said to Saul in verse 16, be quiet. He's bummed. He loves Saul. He poured himself into Saul. The comment, and I will tell you what the Lord Yahweh said to me last night. 17 through 19, we have the review of Saul's history. Listen to Samuel. Saul had forgotten his insignificance. Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, Were you not head of the tribes of Israel? Saul had forgotten the greatness of God. And did not the Lord Yahweh anoint you king over Israel? Saul had been given a recent mission. Now the Lord Yahweh sent you on a mission and said, Go and not only destroy the sinners and Malachites to fight against them until they are consumed. But Saul had chosen to rebel against God. Verse 19. Why then... Did you not obey the voice of the Lord Yahweh? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? The evil wasn't sparing anything. The response of Saul to Samuel is interesting. Look at 20 through 22. And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord Yahweh and gone on the mission in which the Lord Yahweh sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. You don't believe me? Let me bring the king. Well, you're supposed to have killed him. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Well, how can you present to me the king? The inability to tell the truth from a lie is the end result of Saul's life. Look at verse 21. The people are blamed. But the people took the plunder. 
the offering is presented as honorable. Sheep, oxen, best of the things should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. The exposing of Saul's deception and rejection comes by Samuel in verse 22 and 23. Listen. The standard of God is obedience to his word. Then Samuel said, Has the Lord Yahweh as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord Yahweh? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. God doesn't need any sacrifices. He'll accept them and honor them through obedience, but he won't accept them as a swap for obedience, as a substitute. You understand? The crime of Saul was compared to serving the occult, Satan. In other words, treason. For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is the iniquity of idolatry. Do you understand the magnitude of that statement towards this man? That means that he did not obey the Spirit of God that had come upon him, that he obeyed the Spirit of Satan, the enemy of God the deceiver of mankind. Wow. The verdict of God comes. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord Yahweh, he has also rejected you from being king. Listen, choices have consequences. Numbers 32, 23 says, But if you do so, then take note. You have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. The context is the children of Israel that were going to go in to conquer the land until it was conquered. Then they would go back to the, the other side of Jordan. He says, if you don't keep your word, your sin will find you out. Obedience. The Bible is clear that we are to confront one another if we are being deceived by sin or deceiving ourselves. The common notion today that we're not to judge one another is not biblical. It's humanistic. From the pit of hell, the young man sleeping with a stepmother was to be confronted and put out of the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 on down to 5, I believe. Paul says, kick him out. The sin's not even mentioned among the Gentiles. Paul told the Corinthians again in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexual immoral people, yet it certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, the non-believer, or with the covetous extortioners, idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother, a Christian, who is sexually immoral or covetous, or idolater, or reviler, or drunkard, or extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Now people say that that's not talking about us. Paul says that's a Christian. If someone says they're a Christian, they're into these sins, you call them, you talk to them, you pray, and you ask them to repent. That's what your responsibility is and mine. They don't have to repent. They don't need to hear us, but we have a responsibility to call them out on the carpet. You understand? We can't just shine it on and say, well, it's okay. No, no, no. That's what we did in the world. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, Paul says, But we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly, not according to the traditions which we have received from us. 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 and 15. 
If anyone does not obey our words of this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So in other words, you go by one, you and, and the Lord, and if he repents, you've gained a brother, it's put away. Don't spread rumors or gossip. If they don't hear, go by two. You're going because you love them. If they don't hear, then by threes. If not, then you call the elders and they confront them. It's up to the individual whether they repent and walk with God or not. But they cannot hang out with Christians if they do rebel. You understand? You cannot give them the right hand of fellowship. Now, here's the world. Oh, that's not very loving. 1 John 5, 16 and 17 says, If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. He's still talking about a Christian. All unrighteousness is sin, and there's a sin not leading to death. So there are certain points where people come to the place like Saul. It's too late. Praying is going to do nothing for them. God's going to deal with them. You understand what I'm talking about? But there's also a certain warning to the, the one who continues in sin. Listen, it's in Proverbs 29.1. He who is often rebuked and hardened his neck will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Whoa, that's a scary scripture. The removal of Saul was by God. Now notice thirdly, we have the remorse of Saul towards God. Remorse is not to be confused with repentance. Look at 24 and 25. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandments of the Lord Yahweh and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Absolutely right confession. But he doesn't mean it. It's remorse. Remorse has self in mind. Listen. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. He's just interested to get back in the saddle. You understand? He wanted Samuel to practice slape agape. Remorse leads to judgment, not forgiveness. Look at 26 or 29. As much as he loved this man, and because he did love this man, he could not let him slide. If you love someone, you will hold them accountable in Christ. I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord Yahweh, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. This is repeated about three times in the chapter. Saul attempted to stop Samuel. Verse 27, and as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of the robe and it tore. He uses a torn robe as an illustration. So Samuel said to him, the Lord Yahweh has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today. He uttered his replacement and has been given to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Wow. Saul would be around for many more years until David replaced him, but God was not 
with him. Look at 30 and 31. Remorse is interested in reputation, not character. In 30, Saul was interested in appearance. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now. Please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord Yahweh, your God. Your God. He doesn't say my God. Your God. Your God. Keep that in mind. Now look at the righteous judgment by Samuel at Gilgal. God's man is present, Samuel. Samuel gave the order. Then Samuel said, bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. And Samuel was entreated for mercy by Agag. Look at what he says. And he says, and Agag says, surely the bitterness of death is past. Everything's okay now, huh? (laughs) Wow. The king of Amalek was executed by Samuel. Totally devoted to God. Too many people make decisions today based on emotions. Today our, our courts are filled with jurors, lawyers, that try cases solely on emotions, not upon law. And so evil people go free and innocent people are done injustice. Notice 33. Samuel declared justice would be served. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel administered the justice of God himself. Samuel departed from Saul, we are told. 34, they each went their way. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And they never saw each other again. Amalek's a type of the flesh in Scripture, that which opposes God and the things of God. Interesting enough, it was a Malachite who, we are told, fell upon Saul by, with a sword in chapter 31 of Samuel. There seems to be a conflict in chapter 1 of 2 Samuel. Either he lied or he told the truth and Saul fell on a sword and didn't die completely and then was asked to kill. We're not told which way it went. We get both records. But either way, God used the Amalekites to execute his judgment on Saul. Very clear. Type of the flesh. Years later, there was a man named Haman who almost destroyed all the Jews. He's called the Agagite. He was related to King Agag. Apparently, Saul did let some others live and almost cost the entire Jewish nation. You make a compromise with your flesh, ladies and gentlemen, and it will take your head off. Sooner or later, it will get to you and me. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Galatians 6, 7 through 8. Listen to 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us and nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And so the rejection of Saul, the king by God, was due to his disobedience to the command to utterly destroy the Amalekites. What an incredible warning to all of us. This is 
one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. Pastor Xavier Reese and God's rejection of King Saul, following Saul's rejecting the command of God. Solemn, simple truths from the 15th chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. Now today's message, The Rejection of Saul as King, is available for only $4. We can send you a copy on CD, which, by the way, will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is The Rejection of Saul as King, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 